Hello and welcome back to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Um, and in this episode, I'll be looking at Elsewhere or Elsewhere, um, published originally as Elsewhere in Astounding in September of 1941 under the name Caleb Saunders, um, another one of Heinlein's pen names. Uh, it was later published, I think, in an anthology as Elsewhere. So uh, I might just use these interchangeably. I don't know. Um, they're both fine titles, I guess. They, I mean, I guess the point here is it's kind of arbitrary. Could have, you know, it's both these things. It's elsewhere and and elsewhere. Um, this is not one of my favorite of his stories. Uh, it's 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 very much being outshone by what I'm reading now, the novel Beyond This Horizon. So that's going to kind of shape my feelings about this this particular story. It's probably reminds me of more like a lost legacy in that it's it's really kind of bordering on fantasy a little bit. Uh, I, that one's kind of in super science stories, but you know when you think about it, it's actually more of a fantasy story dealing with like enhanced humanities or hum, humanities functions being atrophied and being unlocked. It's it's kind of about magic essentially, and this story is in kind of the same um, approach uh, where it's like, oh, there's these capacities that humans have and they've, they haven't they have been used commonly, but uh, some professor, some experienced person is able to teach students how to do it. It's, it's very much what happens in Lost Legacy, if you remember that story. Actually, I think it was a little bit better done in Lost Legacy. Really, I think what Heinlein's going after here is this this idea of people being able to live in another like to, to shift to another timeline another t place even another like parallel universe kind of shifting between like the multiverse and in doing so becoming kind of grounded to those worlds and less attached to our own and then really what to what point do we do we have like a alpha universe that we really need to, to be in. It, we might find our full potential capacities, abilities, interests fulfilled in, in an entirely different multiverse. And then that, or another level of the multiverse, another level of the tower, if you will. And therefore, is like that is, is where we sort of should be. Right? Or, or you know, or, or, I mean, I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. I mean, it's not science fiction, I don't think. This really is almost a pure fantasy novel. Um, unless you want to imagine, like, is multiverses, I guess it's part of fantasy. I mean, Dark Tower is clearly fantasy. It's not really... It's got science fiction elements in it. Um, I mean, I guess Marvel's getting into the multiverse now. And there it's kind of framed as, I guess, on the surface, science fiction. But I don't know. It's just the device here is not that important. It actually is. This is another one of the stories that I, I think like would remind me a little bit more of like a Philip Dick novel. Philip Dick would have would have probably run with his idea a little bit. Um, and he does have stories that kind of get close to something like a, like a multiverse. 
Um, but anyways, um, what do we have here? So we start with a with a like a scandal in the newspaper over this professor Arthur Frost, who is being questioned for disappearance of his of of some of his students, four of his students, um, who were at his house one day. Right, this is the states the story right nowadays. Three like students going to a professor's house, little bit. Uh, crossing some 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 lines of, of, of conduct codes and things like that but they they vanish and of course where they are is they're, they're essentially in in the multiverse living out lives um, now the point the hope was that they'd come back after two hours so he tries to he teaches them how to do this which is essentially a type of hip, self-hypnosis that he uh, teaches them to do well, let me, let me get to the story a little bit later because I, I want to talk about the later publication history of this first. Um, so this was put together in, a, I guess it's like a short story collection called Assignments in Eternity. Um, and it was published in 1953. So it seems in the 50s when he kind of got back into science fiction writing, he started taking a lot of the stuff from 1941 and earlier and kind of repackaging them into these uh, thematic short story collections. Uh, kind of, they're not quite fix-ups. There's something between fix-ups and, and and pure anthologies because it's like um, they're like thematically kind of grouped together. I'm thinking of like what's it, the Revolt in 2100, where most of it is if this goes on. But there's a few other stories that are they're kind of tangentially related to it um, a little bit. Um, this one now, two of these I haven't read yet because I haven't got to them yet, but it's Jerry was a man in golf. I haven't read those yet, but this is packaged with lost legacy. So, um, they are kind of grouped in this idea that, that human capacity and human potentials are not being fully realized. Now that's something Heinlein would often explore in other ways in a more kind of grounded science fiction way in it. Like, uh, you know what I'm reading now, the the beyond this horizon, where it's all about genetics and and you know creating the ideal human, the perfect human through through manipulation of genetics, through social engineering of various types, uh, and then resistance to that, and people who want to opt out, and the question of like, is this the best way to live one's life? You sort of have that in um, obviously Methuselah's children too, but there it's the Howard's family have this capacity to live for long lives. That's just one aspect of it. But generally in Heinlein stories, you have these Ubermenschian kind of characters who through their intellectual ability or their genetic legacy or something else, they're able to do things humans can't. What Lost Legacy and Elsewhere have in common is this idea that it's something we all have access to. It's just, it's just atrophy. It's something that if we're able to like train learn the methods, we'll be able to achieve that. Um, so that's that's what we have here. So I, I think golf and Jerry Was a Man must deal with similar things. We'll talk about that maybe when we get to it. But anyways, back to this main story. So we have uh, four students. Uh, I think when he rewrote this for the collection, he added a fifth student. Uh, the audiobook version has one character named Martha Ross who, who basically... I was able to shift to a timeline where she was able to be a missionary. She dies and goes to heaven and becomes an angel and, and, and just 
kind of pops in. She's just she's a, she's a minor character. He, he added it. I don't know why. Flesh out the page length or something. It's really awkward because it kind of adds this mystical, really fantasy element. And when when we're talking about going to heaven and coming back as an angel, we're purely in the realm of like of fantasy, right? Religious. It's 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 religion. Take that out. It's a little bit more, I guess, grounded in in science fiction, but. That's okay. The original story doesn't have that. Elsewhere, the original story doesn't have that. But the point is, Arthur Frost teaches them how to use hypnosis. And the idea is like, let's go back in time. And through this, you can improve your own life. You can fix bad mistakes. It's kind of like when you go back and you want to go back, talk to your younger self and slap them around, fix the mistakes you made. And, and that will seem to create alternate worlds right um now he's there's no there's no paradox here like you have in by his bootstraps because frost talks about how he went back in time and fixed things to get to where he wants in his life so there's no paradox or contradiction in that it doesn't make it worse it, it actually is something that works for him but he with the students he's going farther and actually sending them to different like levels of the tower essentially he goes to different timelines um different entire universes um now one character of the four or five depending on which version you're reading doesn't f flip out of existence and warp to this other time his name's howard and he doesn't like quite, quite believe it so it's a matter of belief and ultimately agency it's like if you believe this you can make it true it's it's in this sense it's very much like lost legacy where really it was just about reconnecting your mind to make this possible um so he's not quite there yet but the others do this very quickly they get there and they and they're supposed to come back after two hours right and some of them do others don't um which i don't know why they can't come back immediately if you're flipping back to any time why does it have to be two hours i don't know maybe just for the plot because he needs time to talk to howard who doesn't flip to another timeline it's you know, I, I think I wondered about this a little bit in Bias Bootstraps too. It's like if you have this time portal, you could go to any time you wanted. Why that particular time is chosen? I guess that's I guess it's fine, but there's no reason why time has to elapse uh, for these characters to come back. It seems because it's all subjective. It's all you know. You can spend a lifetime in this other timeline and still come back at any point after you went into the hypnosis into this kind of weird dream state. And it's actually not just a dream state because you actually kind of vanish out of existence when you do it. It's, it's more like a, a well, I guess a astral projection is like your soul goes out and your body stays behind here. It's like you're able to kind of will your whole body into another, into another universe. But anyways, um, the first to to come back is that at least in the, in the later version and the else when version of this um, is the angel uh and she just kind of pops out of the story she's gone then uh another woman comes back uh helen her name is and she went to various um timelines um some she enters in um like she, she one she's able to go backwards in time well first she goes back to like caveman days or neanderthal days and she hangs out with them for a while learns their culture a little bit um, and then she kind of does another time jump and this time she's able to go, she goes to 
the contemporary world, but she's like experiencing time backwards and kind of playing with the fifth dimension. It's kind of like in the or the fourth dimension. It's kind of like a crooked house story, but that's for spatial dimensions, and you have that here too. So she's able to like do essentially psychic surgery through manipulating the fourth dimension. Um, then we have another guy goes back and he's like uh, kind of physically different. He's actually kind of like a dwarf or something. And he talks about how he's in this whole world where which he now sees as his home. So that's where I get this idea that that it's some of this is like people go to where they should be and where they can be fulfilled, right? It's like you have this mass selection of, of timelines you can go to. So why not go to the one that, that really does become your home? Um, but he goes in and his world's being invaded by aliens and they're in some kind of like, it's like, I don't know, it's like a Terminator type situation where humanity is desperately trying to survive, trying to against this uh, invader, this conqueror that's going to take them over. Humanity's on the brink and he wants uh, help. So he wants uh, books to bring back and and he doesn't he can't bring books back but apparently like helen can because she can um she can do the fourth dimension stuff so she's able to bring books back and these books are supposed to help them build up the technology they need to fight off there the the invaders um it's i mean it's all sort of made up as he's going around i mean he's not really following any rules compared to like by his bootstraps or even the crooked house where you get the sense he's really thought through the the geography and the timelines and stuff like that the, here he's just playing with um different possibilities different timelines so it's, it's all about the characters going to these places and living these lives and just where can we send them right you know it's like you could flesh this out into a whole novel if you want to just have them go to different places and have fun with that it's um it's not bad for what it is but it's i don't think it's it's going to leave you with much i actually think lost legacy of of the two i came away with a little bit more but anyways now one of them um uh, another woman estelle doesn't return at all so then they're like what are we going to do about this so they frost figures out he's going to have to go back and kind of like do a, a a time rescue of her or or whatever but how to know where she went well the idea is like whatever recording you listen to when you did the self-hypnosis thing that will kind of be your guide to where you're going which doesn't really explain why people are able to flip once they're in like helen was able to flip once she was there into another timeline but so i don't once you know how to do it you can flip i don't know but then frost knows how but he needs to listen to the recording to like get the right time again the rules aren't really well laid out in this story or maybe if they are i i missed it um i think he's just telling the story like he wants to tell it and and letting the characters essentially do what they want but frost goes back and i think he brings jenkins with him the one who couldn't do it before but now he believes and he can do it and they go to like this like almost like a super sciencey kind of setting and or maybe more like a turn of the century science fiction novel like a like something out of edgar rice burroughs or something and estella is a like a princess of some sort she's got a whole new name she's like a quasi divine figure and she doesn't want to go back because she thinks this is the real world and she actually considers 
Earth of her time and her period as a dream. Um, now, this is where I think Phil Dick would have had fun with this this concept because that's uh, there's that element where you're like, wow, that that's something like that sounds really like something Philip Dick would do, um, where you don't really know what reality you're in anymore. Um, but she thinks it's a dream, but um, like. But then there's some weird relationship between Jenkins who comes back and and Estelle. They're kind of in some kind of he's he's he becomes part of this world, too, because of the way time flows, I guess. Like, even though he flips back recently, he's he's been there for a long time after all because of he, but he flipped back to an earlier time and kind of acculturated himself to that world like Estelle. And they're kind of in a relationship of some sort in there. Um, and he understands Estelle as her new quasi-religious persona or whatever. Um, but anyway, so, so they're kind of content in that world. So they stay behind. Um, and so all our characters kind of end up happy somewhere else. Robert goes back with the books with, uh, with, with Helen and they're fighting off the space invaders. One's a angel. She's happy. The other two are like leaders of this uh edgar rice burroughs novel like like you know like a john carter kind of space princess kind of kind of situation uh frost just goes back and then he's like oh what'd you do with the kids that's when he gets arrested so the opening of the story in which he's being kind of investigated for murdering these kids he gets arrested so he, he realized he's not going to get away with it. So he's like, well, which of these timelines do I go to? So he goes to Robert's timeline, the one where they're fighting against the 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 invaders, the, the aliens. And he's like, well, we can um, help with the... I can help with the war. And then he's like, well, he gets there and he's like, well, maybe he can't help that much. It's they're 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 too hopeless so he goes to the starlight timeline um and and get some technology from there to flip back to uh to uh robert's timeline to win the war and anyways they all kind of end up happy where they are um what to say about this well um i i think obviously we have uh a lot of female characters here who are able to escape our timeline and do great amazing things that maybe they would have been limited in in like 1940s america um so that's kind of an interesting aspect of the story is that there is um a freedom for these women where they're able to like reach their full potential and be something greater than they would have been allowed to if they had just stayed on earth of their time. So I think there, there is kind of a radical gendered reading of this, of this story. In fact, the men are kind of dependent on the women throughout, right? Robert depends on Helen to help her bring the books and, and, uh, I gotta get these characters. I should have written all these down. Um, uh, the, the guy who couldn't, go by Howard Howard he ends up in a almost underneath Estelle Starlight 
in that timeline. Um, Frost ends up being kind of some kind of glue that connects them across these timelines because he can kind of travel throughout them a little bit easier. Um, but the end of the story is where he ends up going to the starlight. He ends up settling in the starlight timeline and and he becomes a teacher there. So he's just going to carry on his role as a teacher, but now he's going to do his speculative metaphysics for the people in this other timeline um, and trying to create a general theory to explain all, all the things that happened to him, to him and his, his students. So that's kind of what happens. It, this would be worth a reread, maybe. Um, I actually have been, to be honest, I've been reading some of these stories twice. I read Crooked House twice. I read uh, Bias Bootstrap twice. This one, I felt I could have read to maybe have a solider grasp of what was happening, but I just didn't feel it's worth it. Because um, I got the sense... Sometimes I really got the sense that Heinlein was just sort of messing with you here. Uh, he doesn't publish it under his own name, so he's allowing himself by putting on a different persona as a writer, at least in the original publication, to be a little less Hein like Heinlein. And and I think that's an interesting aspect of his writing is there is different themes in maybe Anson McDonald is the closest to Heinlein. But with some of the other Lynn Monroe and Caleb Saunders, he I forget what he wrote um, Lost Legacy as initially. I think that was Lynn, Mon Lynn Monroe. So there is a slight different persona with, with these. So I guess that's another thing to mention here. I don't know. There's too much more to say. I, I, I mean, there's so much multiverse stuff out there now. So people are interested in that, those kinds of stories. Maybe want to read this as maybe one of the earlier experiments in in multiverse kind of kind of stories um i just think it's it's not very good science fiction and and it's way too wild it's really a fantasy novel it, it's better put under under fantasy i think um i i wish some of the timelines would have been more fully developed as well. I, like I, the Neanderthal thing could have been its own story. Um, I think if he would have restrained himself a little bit more and made it just about like one character going to one other timeline, maybe we could have uh, had a little more solid of a, of a tale, kind of like what we have with Bias Bootstraps, where obviously it's fan fantas fantasy in its own way, but by just kind of zeroing in on one thing, it comes away as a better story. This is a little bit too scattershot um, for me. But anyways, I guess that's it. So... Um, uh, that's Elswin, and that actually wraps up my coverage of 1941's Heinlein stories. I think I got them all. If I missed anything, please let me know. Um, next up will be the 1942 stories. These are mostly things, as I understand it, that he had written in 41 too, but they didn't get published until 42. He wrote in 41, but didn't get published until 42 because he went off to serve his country in the war um, and didn't do much writing um, during the war. So, uh, but there were some stragglers um, that, that got published later on. So the first we're going to look at is the novel from that period, which is uh, um, Beyond This Horizon, which is a doozy. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about that one. I'll probably do two episodes on it because it just is such, I think it's, it's his best book, best work of the early batch. Um, 
I'm pretty confident saying that. It, it's got its weird things with like the guns and, and, and it has become kind of a, a book of the gun culture in some way. There's there's weird Heinlein aspects to this story. It's, it's an Anson McDonald one, but it's it's very much the kind of themes Heinlein's been exploring early in his career. I think it's a good capstone to to the early Heinlein works. After that, there'll be a handful of stories we'll, we'll need to look at to, to finish up 42. Um, but that's what's coming up. So uh, read it. If you're reading along with me, go ahead and pick up uh, your copy of, of Beyond this Horizon. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be back shortly in a few days to give you my thoughts on um, Felix Hamilton. Hamilton Felix? Hamilton Felix, I think. Um, who is a great Heinlein hero. Um, so many interesting things in that story to talk about. So I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.